Thank you for joining us for this chapel message from the campus of Columbia International University in Columbia, South Carolina. Our mission at CIU is to educate people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. Well, top of the morning, CIU. Thank you for having me today. I can tell by some of your expressions that that greeting has taken you a bit off guard on this Valentine's Day, but I can promise you that the greeting has intent, so I will say it again. Top of the morning, CIU. My acceptance to this invitation came with a request that I introduce myself. Not that my name or my address is of any significance, but it's only to explain an affinity I have. I'm not sure if this attraction has come by nurture or nature, but I know that it is strong. I was born Lala Lafitte on Lockwood Lane. Therefore, I have an affinity for alliteration and acronyms. Hence, I wrote a book whose title incorporates a known acronym as it relates to prayer. And I'll speak more about that later. But for now, I want to offer you a new acronym one which I will hope you can remember in the future. As Solomon wisely said, what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. But I pray the Holy Spirit will fall afresh upon you and will speak anew to you through his holy word. Grass withers and Valentine's flowers fade, but God and his word stand forever and will not return void, but accomplish their purpose. This morning, I would like to present you an acronym that I fabricated for TOP as it relates to my greeting. TOP of the morning is an Irish greeting that expresses a desire for one to have the best of mornings and the Irish response often that follows and the rest of the day to you. In order to have the best of mornings and end life on TOP, one must live by the principles incorporated in top. Trust, obey, pray. Like unhomogenized milk, where cream rises to the top, life's best comes as we trust in God's word, obey his precepts, pray for God's guidance, direction, protection, and provision in our lives. Familiar to most of you, or at least some of you in attendance here, is the name Robertson McQuilkin, the third president of Columbia International University. For 22 years, beloved President McQuilkin served with distinction until his resignation in 1990, before most of you were born. President McQuilkin was instrumental in establishing five core values for CIU, authority of scripture, victorious Christian living, world evangelism, prayer and faith, and evangelical unity. Today, I'm going to focus on two of those core values, the authority of scripture and prayer and faith, and how these two values help you in your quest to live on top, trusting, obeying, and praying. What is trust? Trust has been defined as assured reliance, confidence in something in the future. Trust has been described as hope. An acronym for trust, which you may be familiar with, is totally relying upon scriptural truth. In what do you trust? 
As Christians, we trust in God, in his word, and in the authority of scripture. We trust that all the words in the Bible are God's words. We believe God cannot lie or speak falsely, that all the words of scripture are completely true without error in any part. In John 17, 17, Jesus prays to the Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus does not say your word is true. He said your word is truth, meaning it is truth itself. Because of that, God's word has authority. Let me put it another way. In 1560, six leaders of the Protestant Reformation in Scotland, all who had the Christian name John, wrote a confession of faith known as the Scots Confession. Written in four days, the 25-chapter confession is a kind of guide that spells out the statements of faith. In the introduction, the six Johns wrote, if anyone found anything in the confession misleading, please inform, and they would reply. One of the six Johns, John Knox, specifically wrote, and I quote, they would respond, from the mouth of God. What an incredible statement from the mouth of God, a declaration that conveys the truth and authority of Scripture. In other words, John Knox was stating he would send a biblical reply. But where did John Knox come up with such a response? Familiar to most is a story in Matthew 4 of Satan tempting Jesus in the desert. Hungry from fasting 40 days, the tempter came to Jesus and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. These same words were used by Moses to the Israelites as he reminded them of their hunger and God's provision of manner, which neither, quote, their fathers had known to to teach them that man does not live by bread alone, but on every mouth, every word that comes from the mouth of God. In describing the Bible as from the mouth of God, the Apostle Paul said, all scripture is God breathed. The Greek word for breathed is theop neustos, which translates inspired by God, referring to communication from a deity. In a Table Talk magazine devotional titled Biblical Authority expounds on this statement. To be God-breathed means that every other authority is on a lower level by nature. By definition, God is the highest authority possible. So what he says is the final arbiter of truth. If the only place we have if the only place we have his word is in scripture, then scripture is the highest court of authority to which we can appeal. Nothing else is on the same level, for only scripture is theop neustos. For just a moment, I'm gonna take a total aside from talking about the trust and the authority of scripture and focus on this word, theop neustos, and more specifically, the very breath of God. I learned something interesting about the name by which God revealed himself. As many of you know, the Old Testament name for God 
is always written in all capital letters. The Hebrew word for God is Yahweh, written in all capital consonants, Y-H-W-H, expressing I am. You may recall the words spoken by God to Moses from the burning bush. I am who I am. That is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. I am told that Y, H, and W are the only consonants in the Hebrew alphabet that are not articulated with lips and tongue, rather they are breathed. The tongue relaxes and the lips part. The name of God was not spoken, it was breathed. <sighs> Many are convinced the correct pronunciation of Yahweh is a, an attempt to imitate or replicate, replicate our very breath, the sound of inhalation and exhalation. In Genesis 2-7, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Think about this. It's from the mouth or very breath of God that you get your life. Every breath you take is a living testimony to the fact that God, who is spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, and truth, breathed breath into us and gives us life. Job said, the spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. The Greek word for spirit is pneuma, meaning breath. Knowing the day of his departure was coming, Jesus asked the Father to give another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit, the pneuma, the breath of truth, who would teach you all things and remind you of everything that Jesus has said. In his book, Systematic Theology, Wayne Grudem said, God sent forth his spirit, his pneuma, his breath, whose work is to manifest the active presence of God in the world. God is dynamically present. His word, which proceeds from his mouth, is living and active. The word is not only what God said, it is what God is saying to you today. In Revelations 2.6, the words of it says, the words of scripture are trustworthy and true. They are relevant to you today. And blessed is the one who reads aloud the prophecy, and blessed is the one who hears and who keeps what is written. Therefore, Everyone who has breath should give heed to the words of Scripture and not only trust in its authority, but take heed and, and take it to heart and obey. You may be familiar with the acronym OBEY, ordered by everyday yielding. It makes me think of a story my sister-in-law told of my niece. As a young, strong-willed child, my niece did not want to obey her mother's instructions. When directed, she responded, I don't want to obey you. I want to obey me. We all possess that same unyielding response into what God has commanded. 
We do not want to follow his rules. We think rule following will squelch our enjoyment. We want to do things our way. We think we know what will bring the most satisfaction. We want to follow our desires rather than God's. We think obeying me will bring more pleasure than obeying him. Yet, often in doing so, in our disobedience to God and his word, we suffer pain. Is obedience to God's word a struggle of yours? Do you resist yielding to the authority of scripture? Pray for the Holy Spirit to help you obey God's commands and submit without reserve to the words that come from the mouth of God. The next time you think yielding to God is a surefire way to kill your joy, remember disobedience may seem pleasurable for a season. However, it will reap a painful harvest. So like the parental instruction of a parent to a child, God's directive are intended for your ultimate good. As it says in Deuteronomy, be careful to obey all the regulations I am giving you so that it may go well with you and with the, your children after you, because in doing so, because you will be doing what is good and right in the eyes of the Lord. And note this, when scripture conflicts with other authorities, scripture has ultimate authority. So obey his word. Part of trusting in the authority of scripture and obeying his word is prayer. Question 98 of the Westminster Shorter Catechism asks, what is prayer? The answer, prayer is offering up our desires unto God for things agreeable with his will in the name of Christ with confession of sin and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. Prayer can be summarized in the acronym ACTS, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. With God's Word as a foundation and the acronym ACTS as a framework, the book Daily Acts, which I authored, was written to help God be a guide for personal and for group prayer. With 52 chapters, one for each week of the year, I encourage the reader to meditate and pray every day through one chapter, choose a verse a week, memorize it, in order to store God's word in your heart so that you will not sin against him. Daily Acts is a guide for conversational prayer. Prayer is never alone. It is a dialogue that always engages at least two parties, you and God, or you, God, and others. Regardless who is party to the conversation, conscientiously place your heart and your mind in the presence of the living God. Begin the dialogue by reading the scripture aloud. Pause and pray after each section. Through prayers of adoration, I pray the reader will know our triune God in a more intimate way and acknowledge who he is by reading and praying through biblical passages that tell of his names, his titles, his attributes. In prayers of confession, I pray the reader recognizes and confesses his sins specifically. A Scottish theologian, Sinclair Ferguson, once said, if you don't have clear sight of the target you want to destroy in your lives, then you will miss it. Therefore, name the sin. 
Name the opposite grace and pray for God to make you more like Christ Jesus. Prayers of thanksgiving express gratitude and acknowledge what God has done. It is a time to declare the goodness of God, especially for answered prayers. Note the difference between adoration and, and thanksgiving. Adoration focuses on God. Thanksgiving focuses on what he has done. Prayers of supplication offer requests in accordance with God's word and his will. As scripture states, humble yourself under God's mighty hand that he might lift you up. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Reciting this verse takes me back to a time when I was leading a young girl's Bible study, which my niece was part of. In order to help her remember that verse, she came up with hand motions. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand that he might lift you up. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 6. So whatever it takes for you to get God's word hidden in your heart, take the time. Now back to prayer. In her book, Choosing Gratitude, Nancy Lee DeMoss tells of a time when your beloved president, Robertson McQuilkin, retreated to the mountains alone, trying to reorient his heart and recapture the love he had for God that had so slowly evaporated in the heat of personal loss. His loss, his wife's diagnosis with Alzheimer's, and the death of his eldest son. Nancy wrote, and I quote, it certainly didn't happen in the first five minutes, but, a day, but after a day devoted to prayer and fasting, President McQuilkin began writing God a love letter, enumerating the gifts he had received from the Lord's hand, worshiping him with pen and paper. In the season of revival, McQuilkin identified 10 particular blessings from God that just absolutely exceeded his imagination, things he could hardly find words to express how invaluable they were, how impossible life would be without them. Nancy continued, Robertson McQuilkin found his heart for God renewed by what he called the reflex action of thanksgiving. He said, my love flamed up from the dying embers and my spirit soared. I discovered that ingratitude impoverishes, but that a heavy heart lifts its wings on praise. Even though he did not feel like it, President McQuilkin followed God's directives to pray, praise, and thank God. In doing so, his heart and mind were reoriented and his focus and attention were on his Savior rather than on his circumstance. Focusing our attention can be hard. That's why I encourage to pray the Acts format. The Acts format provides structure in prayer. Personally, I need that. Otherwise, I find myself in the rut that John Piper describes. I try, I, if I try to pray for people and events with ha having the Word of God in front of me, guiding me, then several negative things happen. One is I tend to be very repetitive. I just say the same thing all the time. Another negative thing is my mind tends to wander. 
So friends, when you go to pray, I encourage you to get the word in front of you. Why? Because God's word is authoritative. God's word is transformative. It is life-giving. It is life-changing. Life found in the word comes not from the speaker, but from the mouth of God, who breathed life into it and carries it to us by the breath of the Holy Spirit. The word of God is living. The word of God is active and energizes its hearers. The word of God is so powerful, so powerful that it penetrates to the core of our moral and spiritual being entering the deepest recesses of our lives, exposing the evil and the good. As Hebrew 4.12 states, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. The word of God convicts. The word of God compels telling us everything we must do to be saved and what we must do to please God and enjoy Him forever. The Word of God is sufficient, revealing all we need for life and godliness. So, my friends, trust in God's Word, obey God's Word, pray God's Word. Then you will be able to say with Jeremiah, when your words came to me, I ate them. They became my joy and my heart's delight. Amen. We hope you found this message a blessing to your life. More Columbia International University Chapel messages are available at iTunes and at podcast.ciu.edu. Learn more about CIU's undergraduate, seminary, and graduate programs at our website, ciu.edu. Columbia International University educates people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. Thank you for the opportunity to minister to you today.